This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's word. Go with me to the book of Revelation. The book of the Revelation, Revelation chapter number three. And we'll begin reading in verse number 14, Revelation chapter three and verse number 14. I see David back there. David, I didn't see you earlier. Praying for you and glad to see you. Revelation chapter three and verse number 14. We'll read through verse 22 through the end of the chapter. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, lukewarm, <clears throat> excuse me, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you again for this opportunity to look together into the word of God. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to us through the word that we would have ears to hear, a heart ready to receive, a mind free from distraction, and a will yielded to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a wonderful opportunity the Lord has given us the first Sunday of 2019 to be a part of a church family, it's a glorious thing. I hope it is not something that you take for granted. It is wonderful that we can come together and we can study together the word of God, that God speaks to us, that uh, as a community of believers, we encourage one another, we pray for one another, we love one another. In times of difficulty, uh, we have 
each other. We have the Lord. What a blessing that is. We have a hope and a future in heaven with the Lord Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to know the Lord, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing to have a church. And the Lord here in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 is speaking specifically to specific churches. And uh, there are seven that he addresses in this passage, and we come to the last church that he addresses, the church at Laodicea. And this was a real church made up of real people. And God is speaking to them. And as we consider that the Lord is speaking to them, we find the Lord in a very unusual place. We do not find him speaking to them from within. But rather we find him in verse number 20 of chapter number three, at the door. He said, behold, I stand at the door. I imagine they met in some facility, some building. Maybe it was a home. Uh, maybe they had uh, met in, in a standalone building. We, we're, we do not know that. We're not provided with that information. But we know that when the Lord Jesus addressed them, he was not addressing them from within. He was addressing them from without. He was not seated in the center or he was not at the pulpit. He was not in the midst of them, but we find him outside at the door. And I, I want to ask you this question. As our church meets this morning, where do we find Jesus? Where do we find him? Do we welcome his presence? Do we find him speaking to us in the midst of us? Is he the center of our meeting? Is our mind and our heart fixed upon him this morning as we sit in another service, the first service of 2019? Where is Jesus in this meeting? I want to ask you another question. Where is he in your family and in your home? Is he at the table? Is he in the center of your life? Where is he in the Tabernacle Baptist Church? And where is he in your household? And then let me ask you a third question. Where is he in your life as an individual? What place does he occupy? we find that when it came to the church of Laodicea that Jesus Christ was not the center of that church. That church that belonged to him. That church was his church. That was the church that he loved. That was the church that he purchased with his own blood. And by the way, this is the church that Jesus loves. And this is the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood. But we find him not seated 
in the usual place we might think the founder of the church to be seated. We find him standing without. And so I want to speak to you on this subject. Christ at the door. Christ at the door. And as we've met this morning, I wonder where it is that we find Jesus. I pray that he is in the very center of our hearts and our worship. That he is in the preeminent place in our personal life, in our family life, and in our church life. But oftentimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we would have to acknowledge that he's at the door. You see, Jesus is a gentleman. He will not invite himself in. He will not push himself through. He will only respond to the gracious invitation of his people who will make him their welcome guest. And so Jesus is at the door. I imagine it was a, a very disturbing thing for the people of the church of Laodicea to hear the very words of Jesus to say to them, I'm not in the midst of your meetings. I'm not at the center of your activity. I'm not the heartbeat of your ministry. In fact, I find myself standing without knocking, waiting for somebody to respond to me. But if you will respond to me, I want you to know that I will come in. Imagine trying to have a church without Jesus. So many are doing it today. They've long since departed from faithfulness to his word, faithfulness to his mission. They have adopted a, a worldly philosophy. They have decided that pragmatism and success and budgets and finances and buildings and programs are the preeminent things in the busy life of the church and all the while, Jesus is at the door. Knocking, waiting to come in. And that happens in our own lives. Christ at the door. I don't want to go through one service, one meeting with Jesus at the door. I want him in the very center occupying the chief place in my life and in our church and in our home. But if we're truthful, we'd have to admit there have been many days when Jesus has stood outside the door. And Jesus from outside the door has a message for the church and a message not only for the church corporately, but for the members of that church individually. And so I want us to see it. I hope you'll write some things down as we consider this message from Christ at the door. I want you to see Christ at the door. We see, first of all, his report. His report. From time to time, we have quarterly meetings, yearly meeting, and we give a financial report. We give some other reports as well and it indicates the health 
of uh, the church and how we're doing according to plans and budgets and programs and all of those things. Those are things discussed in that quarterly or yearly report. Well, the Lord Jesus has a report he wants to give them. And it's really quite shocking to them. I want you to see it with me. Beginning here in verse 14. We, we see first of all as we consider this report. We see who it is that is giving the report. <laughs> Note what it says. The Bible said these things saith the amen. That word amen uh, means simply true. This is true. It is a term that is used as an affirmation of truth. Uh, as we sing and our hearts are blessed and God speaks to us, it is not uncommon for somebody to say in the congregation, amen. By the way, that's okay if that happens, right? If the faith in our heart can't get to our hands, we've got a problem. If it can't get to our lips, we have a problem. And so uh, we find that uh, this word amen, it is a term that just simply says, I affirm that that's true. And when we hear the truths of God's word and it moves us and stirs our hearts, it's not uncommon for us just to voice amen. In fact, the preacher often uh, is encouraged when he hears those type of things from the congregation or the singer is encouraged. And Jesus himself here calls himself the amen. He is affirming his truth. He is firm. He is steady. He is trustworthy. This isn't fake news that's coming out. This is the truth. I read this week where one of the congressmen said to one of the president's cabinets, I reject your facts. And the cabinet member said, these are not my facts, these are the facts. I want you to know when it comes to God's word, these are not my preferences, these are not my doctrines, these are the truths of God's word. And Jesus is declaring here his authority and his faithfulness. He says in verse 14, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God. What does that mean? That means that Jesus is the origin of God's creation. He is the creator. It was Jesus Christ, the son of God, who spoke this universe into existence. And so we find his authority that as he speaks, as he gives this report, he wants you to know his credentials. His credentials. And having established his credentials and his expertise, he then goes on to share his conclusions concerning the church. The three things that he points out. First of all, he points out that they are a disinterested church. They're disinterested. Secondly, he points out that they are a deceived church. And then finally, he'll point out that they are a destitute church. Those are the three conclusions that he gives to them in this report about the health and welfare of the church of Laodicea. Notice with me, first of all, the fact that they were a disinterested church. Look in verse number 15. 
I know thy works. It's pretty interesting to stop right there and just say this. Jesus knows our works. He knows our heart. He knows our thoughts. He knows our motives. He knows everything about us. He said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. In other words, when the Lord Jesus gets a taste of this church and this people, and he is speaking here primarily about the passion of their hearts, the fact that there was no fire in them, that there was no devotion, that they who maybe once loved the Lord Jesus and were on fire for him, those who once had a burden to please him and who, who wanted to hear from him, who could not wait to speak to him in prayer and who once read his word faithfully and studied it and served him out of a heart motivated with love, no longer do they possess that love. Now they have become disinterested. No passion. You see, they lost their passion and then they lost their purpose. My wife and I were Christmas shopping and we stopped in a place to get a cup of coffee and when we pulled through the drive-thru to get the cup of coffee, we put the coffee to our lips and we were excited to get some coffee. It was cold that day and we were getting the afternoon, you know, blahs and we needed a little caffeine fix and and so we were excited about that, and I got mine fixed with cream and uh, uh, two packs of sugar. I shouldn't have done that, but I did it anyway. And <clears throat> I just can't drink that coffee without a little sweetness in it and a whole lot of cream. I, I, tell, I tell the lady, I said, look, I want a little coffee with my cream. And then my wife, she, she just likes it straight, and I don't know how she drinks it that way, but hey, she's a tough gal is all I can tell you. So we get the coffee, and we start to drink it, and it's cold. It's not really cold, though. I mean, it's not like ice cold. They have iced coffee, and people really enjoy that, and they buy it. Iced coffee. And then they have hot coffee. In fact, if you go to a place where they sell it, they'll say, do you want that hot or do you want that iced? They never ask you, do you want it room temperature? Because the expectation is it's either going to be hot or cold. And so we got our coffee. We were excited. We were in the midst of our shopping. Oh, boy, how exciting that was. And I put the coffee to my lips. And it was lukewarm. It had no purpose to me. It was a disappointment to me. You see, it served no purpose. And Jesus said to this church, you're not on fire, and you're not frozen over. You just don't care. There's apathy. There's indifference toward me. And therefore, you're of no purpose to me. I think about Lot going down to Sodom. He went down there because the bright lights of the big city attracted him. He said, We'll put our kids in the school system. We'll be involved in the commerce of the town. Our family will do well. When we find Lot, when the angels come to him, he's sitting in the gate. 
He's, he's no longer a sojourner. He's now settled in Sodom, and he's become an influencer, uh, a, a mayor, a, a, an alderman, of the, uh, a county representative. We find him in that position, and he makes a statement to the men of Sodom when they come around his door to take the angels that God had sent to warn him they saw those men and they, des they desired to know them in a, in a sexual, sensual, physical way. The men of the city. And he said to them, brethren, do not so wickedly. Well, they didn't like that comment. You see, we're going to find out that when Lot was warned the city was about to be destroyed, he went to his sons-in-law and his daughters and he said, up, get you out of this place. God is going to destroy this city. And the Bible said he seemed to his own family as one that mocked. Are you kidding me, Lot? What's, what's up with all this newfound biblical conviction of yours? What's up with all this newfound religiosity of yours? Who are you to warn us about the wrath of God's judgment? Come on, we know who you are and you're no good to us. You're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. Or a disinterested church. They lost their passion. They were a deceived church. Notice in verse number 17, he said, because thou sayest. You see, the report that they would give was this. I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Hey, everything's going great here. The attendance is fine. The budget is fine. The programs are fine. We're happy with the status quo. Everything seems to be rolling along just as it should. There's really nothing that we need. He said, thou sayest that. But then he says, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Boy, those are two stark contrasts, aren't they? Thou sayest and knowest not. You see, this church was a deceived church. Not only were they disinterested, indifferent, but they're deceived and they're ignorant of their own spiritual condition. The Bible tells us of this in James chapter 1. If you'll turn back just a few pages in your Bible to the book of James, James chapter 1 and verse number 19. James here warns believers of the danger of deception of God's people. Do you know the Bible tells us that in the last days perilous times shall come, men shall be deceivers of their own selves. The Bible tells us that as we near the coming of the Lord and the end of an age, that deception will be so strong that if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived. There is a, 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 a sweeping movement of deception across our land. In James chapter number one and verse number 19, he said, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Remember, thou sayest and knowest not. He said, wait a minute, be slow to speak, be swift to hear. 
Verse 20, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Notice verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. You see, that's the characteristic of the Laodicean church. They had the Bible, they had a pulpit, they had a, perhaps they had a Bible fellowship group or a Sunday school class. Perhaps they had a ministry to teach the word of God. They had a pastor to preach the word of God, but they had long since departed from obeying and doing what God said. They had only become hearers and they were no longer doers. Churches are filled with people who are willing to hear but are unwilling to do. And he said, you've deceived your own self. They were a disinterested church, a deceived church. They were a destitute church. Notice what they said in verse 17. I'm rich, increased with good, have need of nothing. But God said, oh no, no, no. That's not the way it is. He said, verse 17, and knowest not that thou art wretched. That means that you're afflicted, that you are suffering, that you are weak. That you are miserable, meaning that you are worthy of pity. I feel sorry for you. Poor. This is speaking of those in abject poverty, blind, people who cannot see, who are slow to receive, who are ignorant of truth and naked. That means no clothing, no covering, exposed. God said, you think it's one way, but this is the way it is. You are disinterested. You've lost your passion. You've lost your purpose. He said, you are deceived. You think everything's okay, but it is not. He said, you are destitute. You think you've got what you need, but you don't have anything without me. You see, as long as he stands at the door, this is our condition. And so we see here his report. I want you to notice, secondly, his riches. Look in verse 17. He said, you say, I'm, you say that you're rich, but you're not. Then verse 18, notice what he says. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. You see, here we find the Lord offers to them his riches, the riches of Christ, are offered to his children. He said, you've been in the wrong market. You've been trading with the wrong currency. 
And because you've been in the wrong market, the market of this world, the market of the flesh, the market of the lust, the market of pride, that market, because you've been in that market trading with the wrong currency, you are destitute. He said, but I want to encourage you, come to me, get in the right market. And note what he will give us. He said, I will give you gold tried in the fire. He said, you, want, you know what you need? You don't need more material things. You need spiritual value. Spiritual value. We live in a world that is consumed with materialism. Our hearts are consumed with it. God said, wait a minute. Those things will leave you poor and wretched and miserable and naked and blind. What you need is gold that has been tried. Gold that will endure forever. That's what you need. And the only place to get it is from me. Spiritual value. Then he said, notice in verse 18, that thou mayest be rich and then and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. You not only need spiritual value, you need spiritual virtue. He said that you might be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. When Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden, they immediately re recognized that they were naked. There was an innocency about them. There was a shroud of innocency that, that, that caused them not to see their nakedness. But when that shroud of innocency was removed, when they became sinners, they saw their nakedness. And when they heard the voice of God coming in the garden, what did they do? They hid from God. And they tried to sew fig leaves together. They tried to make a covering to cover their shame. Do you know what sin brings? It brings shame. And do you know that we can never make a covering sufficient? Only God can provide a covering. And that covering is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Those white royal garments that only Jesus can provide because of his sterling, sinless, spotless record in heaven. And if we want virtue, if we want to cover our shame and our sin, there's only one place, there's only one source, there's only one person that we can go to, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He said, you need spiritual virtue. You need spiritual value. You need spiritual vision. You see, he said, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. They had lost their vision. They, they, they had lost their discernment. They had lost, they'd strayed so far from their purpose. Their passion had grown so cold they couldn't see themselves for who they were. They couldn't see that Jesus was not in the midst of their meetings but that he was standing outside the door. They weren't hearing his voice as he knocked day after day, week after week on their heart's door. He said, you need ISAF you can see you see we see his report and then we see his riches I want you to notice the third thing we see his rebuke verse 19 as many as I love I rebuke and chasten be zealous therefore and repent you know when a child gets in trouble at school usually the teacher gets in trouble <laughs> let me tell you why because here's what the child does he goes home he says I've got in trouble the teacher was mean to me. I got in trouble. 
Well, oftentimes what happens is the child maybe acted in a way they shouldn't and were corrected. And the child didn't like the correction. None of us do. That's built in. That's programmed into your DNA. We don't like correction. And so instead of responding in the appropriate way to the correction, we go home and pout and whine that we were in trouble. Whether we were truly in trouble or not. Maybe it's just that we were corrected. You see, we don't like correction. And God said, I want you to know that I am correcting you. I am rebuking you and I am chastening you. Now the word rebuke means to show you where you're wrong. You mean I'm wrong? Buddy, nobody likes that in this culture, right? I mean, who are you to tell me? And he said, I, I'm rebuking you. I am showing you that, I, that you are wrong, and I am chastening you. The word chasten there means to correct or to conform. In other words, there's a problem here with the church of Laodicea and the members of the church. There's a problem here, and I want to rebuke you. I want to show you what the problem is, and I want to chasten you. That means I want to correct you so that I can conform you to the right behavior so that this problem does not continue. And most people would swell up like a bullfrog and say, I don't like that including me. Well, they're, they're, they must be mad at me. No, no. God must be angry with us. He must be really upset with us. He must really look at me with anger and enmity. But that's not what he said, is it? Would you read it again in verse 19? As many as I say the next word, I love. Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus said, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. God says, every son that is mine, that I love, that I receive, I correct them, I chasten them, not, not for, for my pleasure, but for their good. Can I tell you that God in his mercy is sending this message to the church at Laodicea and maybe the church at Tabernacle Baptist in Hickory and maybe to your home and maybe to your life today, not because he's angry with you, not because he's mad at you, but because he loves you. And he wants to help you. And so we see here his rebuke. Now, how does he anticipate that they're going to respond to his rebuke? Notice it, please. As many as I love and rebuke and chasten, as many as I love, rather, I rebuke and I chasten, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Do you know what repentance means? It means I changed my mind. In light of the truth, in light of the facts, I find that my behavior, my, my attitude, my motive, my passion, my actions are wrong and I need to change and therefore I repent. Do you know what repentance requires? Not only does it require a change, but it requires humility. It means I have to acknowledge that I am wrong and I have to be willing to do that which is right. I have to repent. 
his rebuke. I want you to notice the fourth thing. I want you to notice his readiness. Now, you and I might think the Lord is, is going to say, I'm telling you what, I'm tired of you people. I'm tired of the way you've been acting. I'm tired of the way you've been behaving. I'm tired of the fact that you haven't listened to me. I'm tired of the fact that you've grown cold and indifferent toward me. I'm tired of it all. I'm sick to death of it, and I'm finished with you. Is that what he said? No. Where do we find him? At the door. If everybody was invited to the party but you and you could hear them within, you'd think, oh, they left me out. I'm sure Jesus, because he, we're made in his image, he's grieved, he's hurt, he's offended when we leave him out. But I'm glad that his mercy endureth forever. I'm glad that he doesn't give up on me. I'm glad that I can find him today if he's not seated within. I'm glad. I'm really, really glad that he's still at the door. And he's still knocking. You see, he's ready. He is ready. Notice what the Bible tells me here. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, do you hear the voice of Jesus? Does he speak to you? the lonely hours of the night. Does he speak to you in the midst of your busyness? Does he say to you, how long has it been since we've talked? How long has it been since you've read my word? How long has it been since you've prayed? If you're a Christian, there's something within you. Even when you get away from it, you know, oh, you know how much you need God. That's when he's at the door and he's knocking. And he says, if any man hear my voice and open the door. Are you willing to open the door? As a church, are we willing to open the door? In your home, will you open the door yet again to Jesus? Maybe you've opened it before, but somehow, somehow he's been crowded out. He's been crowded out by all the things you've got to get done and by all the things you need and all the things you have to get. And you've crowded out Jesus and he's outside the door. Would you hear his voice? Would you open the door? Here's the promise. He is ready if you'll open the door. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That means we'll, we'll, have, we'll have supper together. We'll have a meal together. What does a meal speak of? It speaks of fellowship. When you want to get to know somebody and you invite them to your home, you don't say, hey, just come over and we'll talk. No, you say, come over and have dinner because it provides a social occasion. It provides an opportunity for us to get to know one another uh, more intimately. You see, Jesus said, I will sup with him and he with me. Oh, the joy of spending one hour in the presence of Jesus. I tell you, we get so worked up, we get so busy, we get so, 
disturbed and troubled about things and we think, oh my goodness, this thing is going to destroy me. This thing's never going to be resolved and we can get along with Jesus for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes and, and it puts everything in perspective, doesn't it? You see, that's what we need the most. We need him. And I want to tell you, if he's not in the center of your life, you can probably find him standing at the door and he's ready to come in and sup with you. I want you to see as we conclude his reward. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. You say, how is it that I overcome? Well, I... I don't overcome of my own. You see, Jesus is the conqueror, isn't he? We sang these words this morning in verse 2 of hymn number 42. Jesus, what a strength and weakness. Let me hide myself in him. Tempted, tried, and sometimes failing. You find yourself there? He, my strength, my victory. You see, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. My reward is not based on my strength and my ability to overcome. My reward is based on his strength and the fact that he's already an overcomer, triumphant over death and hell and the grave. And as I open the door to him, as I commune with him, I live in the reality of his victory. And I'm an overcomer. And I'm rewarded with his presence. And then Christ at the door concludes his message with this statement, verse 22. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.